The reading for today is from the Gospel of John. We will be reading from chapter 12, verses 20 to 36. John 12, 20 to 36. Now there were some Greeks among those who went up to worship at the feast. They came to Philip, who was at Bethsaida in Galilee, with a request. Sir, they said, we would like to see Jesus. Philip went to tell Andrew. Andrew and Philip in turn told Jesus. And Jesus replied, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. I tell you the truth, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. The man who loves his life will lose it, while the man who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, my servant also will be. My father will honour the one who serves me. Now my heart is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? No, it was for this very reason I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it, and will glorify it again. The crowd that was there and heard it said it had thundered. Others said an angel had spoken to him. And Jesus said, The voice was for your benefit, not mine. Now is the time for judgment on this world. Now the prince of this world will be driven out. But I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all men to myself. He said this to show the kind of death he was going to die. The crowd spoke up. We have heard from the law that the Christ will remain forever. So how can you say the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is this Son of Man? Then Jesus told them, You are going to have the light just a little while longer. Walk while you have the light, before darkness takes over. The man who walks in the dark does not know where he is going. Put your trust in the light while you have it so that you may become sons of light. When he had finished speaking, Jesus left and hid himself from them. All right, well, uh, I'm going to pray and ask God to help us as we take a little bit of a closer look at that passage. Father God, thank you for the Bible. Thank you that it is your word, that you spoke it through your servant John, and as he penned it by the inspiration of your spirit and you are speaking it to us now and ask that your the same spirit would move our hearts and our minds to be attentive to what you were saying that we might hear from you grow in our faith in you and our obedience and we pray this in Jesus name amen thought I'd start off with a uh, you know a small question do you know where you're going in life? Or is that a little, a little bit of a mystery to you? Maybe you just flip from one thing to another, hoping the next thing will be more satisfying than the last thing. Or maybe you thought you knew where you were going, uh, but then it was hijacked. Uh, hijacked by busyness, by the death of a loved one, uh, or health issues, or unrequited love, or no friends, or no opportunities, or no money. It's the odd person who sails through life getting everything they want is completely happy. Uh, But either way, whether we're impulsively choosing some path to happiness and satisfaction or trying to plan it out, it seems we often 
walk in the light of our disappointments, of what hasn't lasted and what hasn't satisfied us. You know, uh, you find family life hard and unpleasant, so you throw yourself into work. Uh, Your work is unpleasant, so you throw yourself into a hobby. Uh, You can't find a partner, so you throw yourself into study. Study is a bore, so you throw yourself into your friends. Uh, Church is hard, so you throw yourself into your home life. You get restless having too much R&R, so you throw yourself into your extended family or another job. And on it goes, a cycle that goes around and around of walking in the light of what doesn't last and what doesn't satisfy. Which is a shame, really, because unlike anything else in this world, Jesus can deliver on eternal and satisfying life. And so it's worth walking in his light. And that's where we're going today, to see that Jesus is truly the light of the world, And so we should walk in the light. Pretty simple. Uh, But first, a little bit of a recap on uh, where we've been in John. Jesus has recently done some incredible miracles. He's healed a lame man of 39 years. He's fed thousands with just a few loaves of bread and and a little fish. He's healed a man who's been blind since he was born. And he's raised Lazarus from the dead. So not surprisingly... Words got around about him, and, and it's important. It's an important time of year. Uh, the Passover festival is happening. Uh, many have come to Jerusalem to celebrate this, and a crowd has ushered Jesus into the city as the King of the Jews, waving palm branches while he's riding a young donkey. And all this has just galvanised the religious leaders and the Pharisees in their resolve to get him arrested and to kill him, because they're they're nervous he'll start some revolt, and then the Romans will come and crush the Jews and them along with them. And that's where we're at. In the, in the story of John so far. The religious leaders are exasperated by Jesus' growing popularity and his following, and they say there in verse 19, uh, see, this is getting us nowhere. Look at the whole, how the whole world has gone after him. But it's hyperbole. The whole world isn't going after him. But they actually say more than they know, because up to this point, only the Jews have been following him, but he's not just the light to the Jews... He's the light to the world, as he's been saying throughout uh, this gospel. Which brings us to the first point. Jesus is the light of the world. As John reports, a bunch of Greek people coming to see him who trigger Jesus into stepping up, uh, stepping it up a gear. So in verse 20, we read it earlier, there were some Greeks among those who went up to worship at the festival. They came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and with a request, Sir, they said, we'd like to see Jesus. Uh, Philip went to Andrew, Andrew and Philip in turn told Jesus. Jesus replied, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Now up to this point, Jesus has been saying the time is near. It's it's soon, it's it's coming. But now he's saying it's come, the hour has come. The hour has come for him as the Son of Man to be glorified or to be revealed. Uh, The Son of Man, he was a character in a vision that God gave the prophet Daniel hundreds of years before Jesus. And in that vision, this Son of Man is seen to be approaching God uh, in heaven and be given authority and glory and sovereign power and the peoples of all languages worship him and his kingdom is everlasting. And these Greeks rocking up here uh, in John representing the nations, they rock up to see Jesus and he's like... Yep, now's the time. Now's the time for people to see that I'm this divine son of man guy who people the world over will worship and follow. But the only way this is going to happen, and he knows it, 
is by dying, which he unpacks in a, in a quick parable. Verse 24, he says, Very truly I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. The point's pretty clear in the context. For there be many seeds, many in God's kingdom, worshipping him and his father, he must die. Which troubles him, but that's why he knows that's why he came. To show that he's from God the Father and to glorify the Father, which he's been doing from uh, his miraculous conception to the uh, powerful miracles that he's been doing in his Father's name, and he'll continue to do through his death and beyond. And then Jesus alludes to how he's going to die. In verse 32, he says, And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this to show the kind of death he was going to die. The word translated lifted up there, it can mean lifted up in the sense of exalted. So although Jesus was referring to this as, as his death, to his death, that is lifted, being lifted up on a cross, the crowds heard him say lifted up in the sense of being exalted. So they've heard him say that he's the son of man and they've linked that rightly to him being the Messiah, this, the long-awaited and promised Messiah. And then they've heard him say that he's going to die. And then they've also heard him say just here that he's also going to be exalted. And all this kind of just makes no sense to them. They thought the Messiah would come and get rid of the Romans, uh, restore the nation of Israel, set up God's kingdom on, on earth as a political nation. So in verse 34, they scoff at the idea of him being the son of man or Messiah, but graciously Jesus gives them one last opportunity to believe in him. Verse 35. Then Jesus told them, you're going to have the light just a little while longer. Walk while you have the light before darkness overtakes you. Whoever walks in the dark doesn't know where they're going. Believe in the light while you have the light so that you may become children of light. Jesus is the light. Uh, As the light, he reveals who God is, the Father, who sent him, the Son, to save people from their sins. And he's he's been shining this light pretty clearly over the last little while now. He's healing people, doing incredible miracles, raising the dead, all in the Father's name. And he's saying then to the crowds, you've only got me for a little while now, believe in me now, so that the darkness may not overtake you or master you. That is, so that you're not mastered by sin and you fall into a directionless life, like someone walking in the darkness and not knowing where they're going, because that'll spell disaster. Many years ago, when I was still living at home, uh, one night I had the brilliant idea of jumping on my bed in the dark. So I stood at the light switch, gauged my distance from the bed, turned the light off, ran a little bit and leapt. Now, I only missed the bed by a little bit, and my folks are here and they can test to this, I think. <laughs> uh, but I hit my head on the bedside table and uh, slit my forehead open. I think we went to hospital. I've got a couple of stitches. Uh, yeah. Well, in the same way, <laughs> we might be walking down a path that we hope is the best, <laughs> or at least better than the last thing, but we can't be 100% sure. It's like leaping in the dark onto your bed and not really know where you're going and just setting yourselves up for a headache and possibly some stitches. But Jesus is the light. Uh, Particularly the sacrifice he made and suffered on that cross is the light. Oddly, his death on that cross 
for us in our place is the biggest, bestest light to walk by. It's been raised up as a lamp to guide us to God and to godly living. And so if we walk in his light, we can be sure of where we're going. Now and eternally, we have a direction, purpose. We know where we're going. And as such, we should walk in the light, which is the second point. And this looks like believing in Jesus and serving him. As he says there in verse 25, anyone who loves their life will lose it, while anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, my servant also will be. My father will honour the one who serves me. Jesus says, anyone who loves their life in this world over him, over Jesus, in the sense of strongly and unrepentantly preferring to serve themselves over Jesus and others, demonstrates they don't believe in Jesus, actually, and so they'll lose their life. They'll die and they'll slip into eternal misery. However, those who believe in Jesus will serve him and will follow him. Now, to follow Jesus at this point in the story of John, it would be to literally go and die with him for others. And so to follow Jesus is to hate your life in this world in the sense of being prepared to deny yourself and live for Jesus and for others over yourself. And in doing this, Jesus says he'll not only be there with you, but the Father will honour you with eternal life and glory. Now this, I know it just sounds like craziness to the world, uh, to live for others over yourself, that's the greatest sin that you could possibly commit because that's not being true to yourself, right? How on earth are you going to get anywhere in this world if you're always focusing on others? Ask a mother with kids or teenagers and I'm sure they'll have a few thoughts on that. You need to find yourself before you can focus on others, right? You need to know yourself. After all, you're at the centre of, of your life. So unless you've got yourself sorted out, you're not going to be any help to anyone else, are you? That's the world's gospel. You do you first and everything else will work itself out. Except no one really likes that person. Not even the person themselves. Because they end up being a user and a consumer. Selfishness, it's not good for others and it's not good for the selfish person either because their selfish appetites, they consume not only those around them for what they can get from them, their selfish appetites eat away at themselves. They reduce themselves to the level of an animal driven only by base instincts which is part of the problem with the world that we live in, right? We're seen as consumers Constantly encouraged to consume by appealing to our base animal instincts. I looked up the uh, best ads of all time the other day and almost all of them cleverly appealed to either men's sexual desires, tribalism, immediate personal gratification or appetite for junk food. Our society is cleverly stripping people of their humanity. As patients become clients, carers become providers, friends become trends, education becomes infotainment, love becomes sex, and life becomes disposable. 
And Jesus says, you're going to hate all that and serve him and be prepared to deny yourself and what you want for the good of others, as he did. And it's going to feel a little bit like dying. But Jesus promises the Father will honour us as we do it. Honour us with eternal life. Eternal life that actually starts now because it's, it's a life that knows where it's going. A life that has purpose and direction and as such inevitable satisfaction. So let's remember Jesus denying himself for us, enduring the cross, scorning its shame, all for the glorious joy set before him with us and his Father afterwards. And with a similar attitude and a similar hope, let's put to death any love for the things of this world that would seek to eclipse our love for Jesus and serving him. And and let's not wait to do that. Let's do it now. Because Jesus is coming back to judge. And that's hinted at a little bit here in this passage today. Jesus says to the crowd in verse 31, now is the time for judgment on this world. And he presses the point that they've seen enough to believe in him. They've seen and heard enough to accept that he's the light of the world, but time's run out. So in verse 36 we read, when he finished speaking, he left and he hid himself from them. By hiding from them, you know what he's doing? He's judging them. Judging them as having had enough of his light to believe. They've had enough time. They've had enough opportunity to consider what he's said, what he's done, to see that he's from God, that he's the light. And so now is the time to make a decision and to walk in the light. Or to be mastered by the darkness of this world and suffer a life of never truly knowing where they're going in life. Now or into eternity. And in many ways, we're in a similar spot. The time of being able to walk in the light of Jesus, to trust him and to serve him and to know a life of eternal purpose and direction, a time to know all this is getting shorter and shorter. Jesus is coming back again someday and it's over 2,000 years closer than it was when John first wrote this gospel. And he's coming back to judge. For those who don't believe in him, that will be a terrible day. As the Apostle Paul writes, When the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven in blazing fire with his powerful angels, he will punish those who do not know God and do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will be punished with everlasting destruction and shut out from the presence of the Lord and from the majesty of his power. The idea of everlasting destruction there, it's not annihilation. It's not like they cease to exist. It's more like being ruined. Everlasting ruin. Eternally ruined. Like a busted leg that'll never heal. Or, or driving a car with a missing wheel forever. Or having a bunch of money that you can just never find. Or perpetually walking in the dark and not knowing where you're going. So, it'll be on that day when Jesus comes to judge those who didn't know God because they didn't obey the gospel of Jesus. That is, they didn't believe in him. Despite all the things he said and done, they stuffed around, either trying to poke holes in his story or in his life, or dismiss him or ignore him because he didn't fit in with their take on life. But on the day that he returns, it'll be too late to change their minds. He'll come and he'll punish them with everlasting ruin. 
But so I really, I need to say this to those who are not currently trusting in Jesus, who are looking for direction and purpose in something or someone else, please consider that whatever or whoever they are, they cannot and will not last, not like Jesus. He's the only one who can handle your hunger for eternal satisfaction. And so if you haven't seriously considered what he's done and who he claims to be, please don't waste time. Find out. Ask a Christian friend. Drop me a line. Come and chat to me. Read the Gospel of John and ask questions about Jesus. Please don't be caught out not believing in him when he returns to judge. And to those of us who are believing in Jesus, well, we need to take to heart the challenge of serving Jesus here all the more as we see the day of Jesus coming again, approaching. Not to judge us on where we're spending eternally, but but certainly to judge us on the things that we did with our time here and now, as the Apostle Paul can write elsewhere. We are confident, I say, and would prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord, so we make it our goal to please him, whether we are at home in the body or away from it. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each of us may receive what is due for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. When Jesus returns, we'll have to appear before him to get what's coming to us for the things done in the body, things that pleased him, things that have been done serving him. And a key one a key thing, particularly linked to Jesus coming back, coming back again, is regularly meeting together, as the writer of Hebrews in the Bible says. Let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. To serve Jesus, we need to consider how we may spur one another on as believers to spur each other on in love and good deeds. And a key way to do this is by regularly meeting together to encourage each other. All the more as we see the day of judgment approaching. Because it seems, it might be, that waiting for that day and living in the light of that day could be discouraging. It could make us anxious and complacent. And so God's given us each other to spur one another on and to encourage one another. So, If you want to be discouraged when it comes to Jesus and his people and you don't want to serve others, certainly not at cost to yourself, then by all means, don't make coming along to church a priority every week. And don't get into a regular Bible study. Uh, We call them growth groups. And certainly don't put up your hand to help out serving in in a particular ministry here in our church family because that would mean that you would be taking Judgment Day seriously. But if you do take appearing before the judgment seat of Christ seriously, then you'll be keen to walk in the light of Jesus while you can in this life and serve him as you are able. Serve him by denying yourself for the good of others, particularly as you meet regularly with God's people to spur each other on. Jesus is the light of the world and he died on a cross 
to shine that light, the light of eternal life to any who would believe in him. And unlike anything or anyone else, to follow his light is to live an everlasting life of purpose and direction, ultimately the most satisfying life. And so while it might feel a little bit like dying to deny ourselves and to serve and to follow Jesus now and on that final day, we will only know the glory of the Father honouring us. And I'm going to pray that we would look forward to that now. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank and praise you that Jesus is the light, the light of the world, who came into his glory through the cross and the suffering and the shame of dying in our place for our sins. Father, for those who do not trust in Jesus, please, by your Spirit, prompt them to reconsider their unbelief and to come into the light and know your forgiveness and the hope of eternal life with you. And for those of us who are trusting in Jesus, help us to see that our lives should be like his, that on the path to glory there is dying to ourselves for the sake of serving him and others and that we would do this for the joy set before us, knowing your love for us now and forever in and through Jesus, our great Saviour and Lord, in whose name we pray these things. Amen.